Weird. news enthusiast and welcome to episode 306 of weird this is the podcast that gives you all the news that you can use to blow a fuse and it's all true my name's aaron and my name is craig we will be your host through this strange news spectacular if this is your first time listening to weird welcome now each episode of weird is a podcast in two parts the first half of weird is what we call our weekly weird where we bring you the recent weird news stories and for the second half of the show, we have our big story. Story, story, story. This is where we talk about stories that are so strange they need more time than the stories we talk about during the weekly weird. The big story is where you will hear about alien abductions, Bigfoot sightings, real life monsters like Aaron, and things <laughs> like that. Yeah, and we got to go in tonight, too, by the way. It's a story of a most unusual family. No, 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 no. And the young girl, and the young girl, the daughter of the family, who was told never to speak of it. But she's an adult now, and she decided she would speak of it, Craig. Ooh. So that's coming up a little later, but now it's time for... Story. This is submitted by our good friend, Carrie Walker. She's so awesome. She is great. British authorities scramble to find stolen solid gold toilet. Yeah, I told I told him when he uh, when Carrie sent us this story, I said, that's going to be a tough one to crack, too, because now they got nothing to go on. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess this story's in the can. Oh, well, the crapper, so to speak. Anyway. Ooh, hey, wait, should I do this? I mean, it's not really a poo story. Fecal surprise. I think it qualifies. That's a little low, don't you think? I don't. I don't think. I think it was good. Fecal surprise. That's pretty good. I like that one. Hey, (laughs) British police have arrested a 66-year-old man in connection with the theft of a solid gold toilet. Solid gold. Remember that show? I do, yeah. They had the toilets dancing around the No, no toilets. From the palace, a palace west of London. Palace on the streets of London. Palace on the streets of Birmingham. <laughs> you got your toilet, got your toilet, got your toilet, got your toilet. Hang the flusher, hang the flusher. The toilet, titled America, it's titled? Yeah, that's what they called it. it Remember, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a weird I get art. It now. Yeah. I just didn't get it at the very beginning of the sentence. Uh, it's a work of art by the 58-year-old Italian artist Maurizio Catalan. Some artist. Yeah. It had been installed for an exhibition at England's Blenheim Palace earlier this week. Blenheim? Blenheim Palace confirmed the theft in a statement posted on twitter oh yes it was stolen i wonder no. who donated the gold to make this toilet somebody had to support it over there i'm popping a water anyway i'm no saddened by this ex- extraordinary event but also received relieved no one that's right no one was hurt well, how are they gonna get said, away? i mean he didn't come in with a gun and take it did we he? are grateful well it might have been loaded I don't know what that means. Anyway, uh, we were grateful to our staff and the Thames Valley Police for the rapid and quite brave reactions. Thames. 
Tams. 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 Yeah. If you listen to them very carefully, it's hard to hear what they said. They said Tams. I remember that used Tams. to. They used to come on. It was a production with company. Benny, yeah. uh, Benny Tams. Hill. Tams. River Tams. And Allen, the old comedian that was missing a finger. Allen, uh, Dave Allen at large. Dave Allen. Yeah. Dave Allen at large with one finger missing. That's right. Dave Allen at large with no finger. But always a drink in his hand. Always. And a cigarette in the yep. other. Yep. Funny guy. Anyway, Tams. Both, both of them were. I'm going to go with Tams because every time I hear a British person say it, it sounds like that to me. So Tams. Um, Valley police believe a group of thieves use at least two vehicles to accomplish the task. They broke in overnight and left the scene around 4.50 a.m. local time. The toilet, worth by some estimates up to $1.25 million, was connected to the plumbing of the building. Good As night. a result, uh, its removal caused extensive damage. Uh, Blenheim Palace, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and the birthplace of, of Winston Churchill announced Saturday that it would be closed for the day. It's not going to be easy. It's not going... To, I, here I go again. It's not... <laughs> it's not going to be the easiest thing to nick Lord Edward Spencer Churchill, brother of the Duke of Marlborough, the cigarette king. Night told the Sunday Times in August. The palace is the principal resident of the Dukes of, Marles, of Marlborough. But they sit around smoking all day. Sure, the Dukes. Firstly, it's plumbed in. And secondly, a potential thief would have no idea who last used the toilet or what they ate. So Gross. no, I don't plan on guarding it. You know, we covered this story when they, when they first put this thing in. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Yeah. I don't... My head. It, it just dawned so on me as you were reading that we did cover the original installation of the golden toilet. America, that's the toilet, was installed as just one part of an exhibition of Catalan's work, his first solo exhibition in the UK in two decades. Before it was stolen, visitors could book three minute appointments to use the golden toilet. Hmm. <laughs> I've got a golden toilet. Uh, I've the, got a golden toilet. <laughs> um, the fact that America could actually function as a toilet was key to its message. It had previously been on display at the Guggenheim in New York where it replaced the standard toilet in a small single unit museum restroom. Now you know Craig a lot of Americans could be offended by this. I think it's funny. But all you gotta do is look at San Francisco right now and it's That's very true. very fitting. Gold toilets for everyone. Uh, the fact that it's very welcoming invited uh, I just don't like that guy's voice. We'll, we'll just <laughs> drop it. Oh the fact that it was very welcoming inviting for anyone to use gets to the heart of a lot of questions around exclusivity in the art world and museums in particular. Nancy, who sounds like a man, Specter said, the curator <laughs> Spectre. who uh, worked closely with Catalan and the Guggenheim exhibition. Um, this notion of having a very intimate, pri- now she's German or something, uh, private experience. I'm really off my game today. You I don't are, know what's man. going on right now. <clears throat> it's the meds. I'm not on any. That's the problem. No. That's what I meant. This notion of... Lack uh, lack of meds. Lack of. uh, This notion of having a very intimate, private experience with a work of art and work of art that speaks dramatically about its own value is fascinating on many levels. When you show the finest art to everyone, to the audience it was made for, you take a risk. Dominic Hare. (laughs) Yeah. Palace's CEO wrote... What's she saying about the audience it was made for? I mean, I read between the lines there. Surprise. That's who it was made for. Okay. Um, it's deeply ironic that a work of art portraying the American dream, <laughs> okay, and the idea of an elite object made available to all should be almost instantly snatched away and hidden from view. 
Um, yeah, it should have been hidden from me, probably. Yeah, right. Once the artist did offer America to a more private residence, the White House, in 2017, <laughs> after the Trump White House asked to borrow a Vincent Van Gogh painting from the Guggenheim. They said, you can't, you can't have the painting, but yeah, we've got a toilet. We've got a gold toilet, if you like that. <laughs> and President Trump said, I've got seven of those already <laughs> installed. Right. Uh, Specter wrote back saying that the request... Uh, requested work was not available, but America was. We would be pleased to help facilitate this loan for the artist should the president and first lady have any interest in installing it in the White House, Specter wrote in an email published by the Washington Post. It is, of course, extremely valuable and somewhat fragile, but we would provide all the instructions for its installation and care. 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 Forget about it. Yeah. Uh, the artist has been called court jester of the art world in 1996 when he was unable to come up with a piece for his own exhibition in Amsterdam. He stole another artist's entire work and uh, attempted to claim credit for it. He's incredibly successful and has sold single works for more than $10 million. Good, mighty. Maybe NPR, he financed it himself. Maybe NPR could not immediately reach Catalan for comment. Uh, on the theft of America. In 2018, when the Washington Post asked him what his work meant and why he offered it to the White House, he responded, It was the point of our life. He <laughs> said, Everything seems absurd, absurd until we die. And then it makes a sense. That, Nothing you said just that made just sense. Made, that's, actually, in a way, it kind of makes perfect sense <laughs> if you think about it. It's the guy with the gold toilet. He's, had, he's been around too many gold toilets. Headline is Pastor Dies. After 30 days of fasting to beat Jesus's record. Okay. Well, now I've talked to people who have fasted for longer than 30 days, and they're perfectly fine. We'll a little read, thinner. We'll read it. Maybe he did something dumb. A South African pastor, Alfred E. Newman, has <laughs> That's died. That's not his name. Oh, I'm sorry. What's his name? Alfred Nlivo. Nlivo. That's not even a real word. Alfred. Yeah. Has died of malnutrition after going without food for 30 days. But didn't Jesus do it 40? Oh, so he died before finishing. Dude, if you finish the sentence. Oh, I'm there. sorry. For 30 days when he tried to emulate Jesus Christ and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. According to Buzz South Africa. Uh, that's a weird last name. That's a weird name altogether. Yeah, Buzz, Buzz South Africa. Yeah. The 44-year-old pastor left home on June 17th for a nearby bush to have prayers, just like Jesus did. Attempting to equal or break Jesus's record of fasting for forty days. Was it a challenge that was thrown down? I, I don't know. Did, did Jesus throw down the goblet? I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Alfred E. Newman died just a month later, despite having no history of illness. He was alone in the wilderness, and his body was found by a strange. Okay, so this this is the story kind of widens a bit here. He was not only fasting; he was living alone in the wilderness like Jesus did. Okay. I wonder if he was being tempted by Satan at the same time. Or the fruit of another. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me started on, on, on Squeeze, would you? Okay. The band. His, yeah, yeah. The his, band. his body was found by a stranger who then called the police. He was known by his family and community at large as a very spiritual person whose faith could move mountains, and his death surprised everyone, even the church members. One close relative said... <laughs> Craig, that's terrible. I'm sorry. He was a very spiritual man. It's unfortunate he had to die this way. After a month, we got the sad news of his death. The pastor was a healthy and religious man who did not even look his age. So I'm betting, Craig, I'm betting he was fasting in the wilderness. Something got him. Something bit him, I bet. Because you don't just die. Or he could have, now he could have been without water. He also probably now, didn't have an emergency pack of DQ. 
Yeah. Now, you got to have water when you're fasting. You're not Jesus. Or a blizzard. And I've got no problems with people wanting to emulate the life of Jesus. This world would be a much better place right. if we all tried to do but that. But don't do it for 40 days in the middle of the wilderness like Without that. water. Without water. That's what got him. If, if he wasn't drinking water, that's what got him. All right. So here we go. You ready for this one? Yeah, yeah. This is such a good headline. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's good. Elderly woman dies after being pecked, aggre- uh, pecked by aggressive oh, rooster. No. Highlighting the dangers of varicose veins. Oh, boy. Did you think about that when I just said? Speaking of Jesus, this lady gets up to heaven. Everybody's talking, you know. How'd you die? Yeah, yeah. How'd you? Well, well I was in a car crash over here. Going to a combine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was trying to save someone's life. I fell off a cliff. That's right. Well, I, I got pecked by a rooster. I ran into a burning building to save people, yeah. and I just didn't make it out. How'd you go? Well. My varicose vein exploded. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie pecked me. <laughs> <laughs> an elderly woman was killed after being attacked by an aggressive rooster while collecting eggs on her rural property in South Australia. South Australia? Oh, okay. Man, I'll play this drop of a hat. I don't have a hat. Oh, I do have a hat, actually. Yeah, you do. I don't. Would you drop it for me? Everybody want to do it, do the kangaroo. Come on, come on, come on, baby, do the bangaloo. You know, speaking of weird hats, you ought to have one of those, like, uh, Weird Harold on Fat Albert, the one that came over his whole face and you could only see his eyes. Yeah. Because that'd cover all your yeah, face. Yeah. <clears throat> and that'd be awesome for everybody. Anyway, this uh, elderly woman, what are you going to do? You going to do this? Back up, you creep. Get away from No. What were you going to I'm, do? I'm, you're going to have to lay off the old... Uh, I've only used it three times today. <laughs> but that's, that's not true. It is true. <clears throat> Unless I did this. Attaboy, Luther! That's my favorite. <sighs> anyway, so we're back to Australia. Our story, our story continues in Australia. Yes. <clears throat> she was collecting eggs on her rural property. Eggs? Eggs. In South Australia, a pathology expert has revealed... The woman's death was studied by University of Adelaide professor of pathology, Roger Biard, Biard, <laughs> Biard, who said researchers hope to prevent similar deaths in the future by bringing the details to light. Professor Biard <laughs> said the woman was collecting eggs from her chicken coop on her rural property in South Australia when the rooster pecked her lower left leg, causing her to hemorrhage oh and collapse. An autopsy letter uh, 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 letter. And autopsy one later. you don't want to get? Huh? You don't want to get that letter. No, no. <laughs> the autopsy later revealed two small lacerations on her lower left leg with the, her death the result of bleeding varicose veins. Mm. Uh, this case makes us realize how vulnerable the elderly are. Varicose veins are very easy to damage. Older people. This is the actual guy, yeah, by the way. It's actual Old, audio. Older people uh, are also not uh, as good at defending themselves against animal attacks. Their balance might not be as good. The study, recently published in the Journal of Forensic Science, Medicine, and Pathology, focused on the dangers of elderly people who had varicose veins. Varicose veins are twisted, much like my co-host, and enlarged veins, which uh, bulge above the skin's surface. Professor... Biard said the problem was that people with varicose veins could bleed very quickly. I've had a number of cases where people have just been wandering around their home uh, and just run into furniture, which uh, caused a small injury, he said. While, crikey, (laughs) while Professor... That's not a vein. (laughs) That's not a vein. This is a vein. Hey, bring a chicken over here. (laughs) 
Forget about it. <laughs> what would a Brooklyn, Australian Brooklyn guy sound like? Uh, forget about it, mate. <laughs> forget about it, mate. Um, let's see. While Professor admitted rooster attacks were rare, he said this case, which had happened recently, raised concerns about the danger of, domestic, of small domestic animals. They are very rare. There have been uh, a couple of cases overseas where children have been pecked by roosters uh, because they have thin skulls and the roosters has actually caused brain damage. Wow. Um, he said elderly people with varicose veins need to understand they may be vulnerable. There, there's a couple of messages. One is never trust a rooster. <laughs> Crikey. You never trust a rooster. The second is if, you, if, uh, if you've got varicose veins, get something done about it. All right. <laughs> I lost it. My brain is not. You know, you know what you could do? You could go on uh, peltperformance.com and order some uh, compression socks. You could. You could use the That's discount code. That's That's P-E-L-T performance.com. Use the discount code podcast. You'll even get like 20% off your, your purchase. Anyway. Anyway, back to what you're. This is, this is one that hits close to home because it's actually about you. It's not about me. Headline is, man has a four-inch devil horn removed from his head. Now, how did it get there in the first place? It was place? pretty weird looking. But think about how easy it'd be if his mom got mad at him, just grab him by the horn and just sling him just around. drag him around. Yeah. A man in India recently had a four-inch horn-like growth. What is going on in India? I don't know. There's I haven't been there some, lately. No, but there's always something bizarre like this. That's true. Remember the guy that turned into a car? Yeah, was that India? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, a man in India recently had a four-inch horn-like growth removed from his head after it began causing him pain. And after attempts to trim it by a local barber stopped being barber? successful. You should go to a, we call him a blacksmith. You should go to somebody who shoes horses. The 74-year-old reportedly injured his head about five years ago, which at first resulted in a lump. Initially, he ignored it uh, as it did not cause any discomfort. I mean, he had a horn, so what? It didn't hurt. Whatever. Said Vishwel Gebev, Dr. Vishwel Gebev. Pretty sure that was nowhere close. <laughs> said of his I patient. Think it's Vishal or Vishal. Sham Lal Yadav. Also, he got the growth cut. What? He, that uh, guy doesn't sound like he's from India. He got the growth cut by the local barber. You know, this reminds me of that Steve Martin uh, Saturday Night Live. What when happened he used to, to the live that? audio from India? Uh, that quote right there. We oh. got no live audio. Oh, no, no, we don't have rules anymore. We don't have to read it. In okay, there. fine. Yeah, the rules ruin great. everything for everybody. But then the lump hardened and started to grow and started growing further. Uh, he approached the hospital at Cigar. You want a cigar? Cigar. <laughs> no thanks. I don't smoke. Gabive. Mm-hmm. People are like said he was. Di- people are like lighting matches on his horn. <laughs> said he was diagnosed or he had diagnosed this patient. With sebaceous horn. Sebaceous. Yeah, sebaceous horn. Also referred to in the medical cases as a devil's horn. It typically occurs in a sun-exposed area of the face and hands as made up of a cretin, a keratin mount. Keratin. Cognac. Mm, I'm having problems here. Cognac. According to a case report documented in the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, Gabhive removed the patient's growth with a sterile razor and then used a use a dirty one. And then used a skin graft to close the opening in his head, which has now healed completely. Uh, the growth has found to be benign, but he likely faces treatment in the future to prevent regrowth. How would you like to know that? Just it could come back. You had all but that you, done. You're like a rhino, though. You could like. Uh, hit, yeah, I wonder you, if it was on, right in the middle of his forehead. No, I saw the picture. It was like up on top of his head. Oh, okay. Yeah. So according to the hospital, we had this done. Uh, 
Dr. Gebhive submitted the case to the Internal Journal, International Journal of Surgery, because of its rarity. Hey, stick around because our big story is coming up next tonight. We've got a real UFO abduction thriller. We do. Yeah. We're continuing with the Charlie Parker thing, the Charlie yes. Hickson thing. It's the story of Charlie Hickson and Calvin. No, it's not. It is, according to this. Well, it's not, no. Yeah, that's what I thought. No. So we're going to talk about something. Oh, it's Pauline Dakins. Or yeah, Dakins. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, the person that put the notes together didn't do a very good job. Yeah, apparently not. Anyway, we're going to stick around. We're gonna, I don't know. We're going to figure it out. We'll be, we'll be right back. Have band-themed boxes sent right to your door for just $49 a month. Each curated band box includes two brand-new vinyl records by the same popular, critically acclaimed artist, an illustrated track-by-track listening guide, and an exclusive magazine about the featured band or singer. Don't want the records we send you? Exchange them for any title in our catalog. Pause or cancel your subscription anytime. Go to bandboxrocks.com and enter the code WEIRD at checkout to get your first month for half off. How's your performance level? If it's not 100%, you may need help from Pelt Performance. At PeltPerformance.com, you get products that enhance your physical and mental performance. From state-of-the-art compression socks to backpacks and water bottles, Pelt Performance takes you to the next level of performing. Go to PeltPerformance.com and use the discount code PODCAST at checkout to save 20% off your first order. And check out their new podcast, High Performance Life, with Chris Sperlick. Weird. Story. It is a big story. Isn't it, though? It's so big, I can't even wrap my brain around it. It's a big story. Pauline Dakins. Is it Dakins or Dakins? I think it's Dakins. Dakins, most unusual family. Pauline Dakins' childhood in the 1970s was full of secrets. Yes. Disruption and terrible surprises. That's when you, you know, your parents try to surprise you with a puppy, but they give you like a... <laughs> a um, tiger. A, yeah, no, a snake. A, a snake. A snake or something. She was told never to speak about, uh, speak about her family with anyone... And it wasn't until she was in her early 20s that she was given an explanation. But we'll go into that shortly. There was always something very weird about Pauline Dakin's family. My brother and I would say, I'm giving up on this today. My brother and I would say, (laughs) what do you think is wrong with our family? Why are we so weird? But that was the mystery that just didn't get answered. Warren and Ruth, Pauline's parents, separated when she was five years old. That was the summer before she started school. Her father, Warren, was a successful businessman and also an alcoholic. I just don't think those two things go together in one sentence. At first, you're thinking he's successful, but then they hit you with the next one. Well, you know, it's kind of like Mad Men. Okay. Everybody was was drinking. He was angry? Oh, Madison Avenue. I got you. Okay. Uh, He would also become violent. Uh, A point came when Ruth decided to leave him for good. She's out of there. Just so that she and her kids would be safe. One day when Pauline was seven, her mom took the children on a vacation to Winnipeg. That's up there in Canada. Yeah, beauty. Uh, More than a thousand miles away from where they lived in Vancouver. But during the holiday, Ruth shocked the children with news that they were never going back. Pauline remembers, there was no opportunity to say goodbye. It was just this abrupt. 
severing of relationships. Okay, so her dad and her mom split when she was five. He was a professional businessman, successful, very successful. Alcoholic. But he was an alcoholic, and he got abusive. So instead of just going through the motions and saying, we're, you know, we're splitting up, kids, we're moving away, she takes the kids on vacation, mm-hmm. supposedly, they come back. and says, well, welcome to your new home. So anyway, Pauline asked her mom why she'd done this, but there never was a good explanation, Craig. She never would give her an explanation. She, she would only say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. When you're older, I will tell you. But here's what is weird. Four years later, the same thing happened again. So by this time, they moved to New Brunswick, which is on Canada's eastern coast. Other than uh, this secret, life was pretty normal for the family. They'd start over again and make a new life in a new place, even though she never let it show. Pauline was often confused, always anxious, and somewhat depressed. She said, I knew there was something bad happening. I I didn't know what it was, but there was always a sense of something dire and unspoken. But by the time she was 11, Pauline had already attended six different schools in almost six years and had lost contact with her dad completely. But suddenly, Craig, a new man came into the uh, to the family's life, and his name was Stan Sears. Stan Sears uh, was a United Church minister uh, in North Vancouver, and he he came into my family's life because my mother went to Al-Anon, which was the support group for families of alcoholics. She was quite depressed. She was trying to leave an abusive marriage to my dad, and he was an alcoholic. And uh, people there recognized she was fairly fragile. Mm-hmm. And somebody there said, oh, you need to um, go see Stan Sears. He does counseling. So she went and had counseling with him. Uh, and then we began to go to his church on Sundays. So that's how I came to know him as the minister of that church. And then his family and our family became quite close. We ended up, we'd go on vacation together, camping. Uh, we would spend, you know, we'd have Christmas dinner or Easter dinner together. And interestingly, when both times that we just kind of disappeared and moved away, we did it in lockstep with them. So he and his wife would move at the same time we did. So, of course, my brother and I always thought. Weird. So, like she said, both times that, that her family would move, Stan's family would follow along and move with them. Hey, Pastor, what are you doing in New Brunswick? <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> she said, so whatever had been going on, they were part of, and she knew that once in New Brunswick, they stayed, but uh, by 1988, when she was 23, 1988, great year. Oh, what a decade. Best decade ever. Ever. She was 23. Pauline had graduated from college and was working as a young journalist at the local newspaper in the city of St. John um, when her mother called with an unexpected proposal. She said, okay, I'm ready to explain all these strange things that have happened throughout your life. Her mother had Pauline meet her outside a motel halfway between the two cities they were living in. When she got there, I got there, (laughs) Ruth passed a note and an empty envelope to Pauline. The note read, don't say anything. Take your jewelry off. Put it in the envelope. I'll explain. Just don't talk. Pauline said it was just the most bizarre thing. I thought, who are you? What are you doing? But I did what she told me to do. So you see, it's really getting weird now. I mean, it, the, the family life has been pretty strange up until this point, but now things are taking a turn for the bizarre. 
So they went into this uh, motel room where Pauline was shocked to find Stan Sears sitting in there and waiting for her. Double S. Yeah. S squared. Following him everywhere. Stan Uncle Stan. That's what, yeah. Pat, Brother Stan. Brother Stan. Brother Uncle From Stan. the Unity Church down the street. Professor Stan. Stan and Ruth told Pauline that for the past 16 years, they'd been on the run from the mafia. And that Pauline's family had been targeted because her father, Warren, you remember him, the successful businessman alcoholic, had been involved in organized crime. So they made her remove all of her jewelry because, they said, Craig, it needed to be tested for bugs. Like spiders? Yeah, like make sure it didn't have bed bugs. Right, because those would go everywhere. Well, and Plus, they tell secrets. You can't, you can't tell right. a bed bug anything. Right, right. I say right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Pauline said it was unbelievable. But she also says she remembered a feeling of horror coming over her that this might be something that she could never escape. And it would be. If you, if you thought about that, if somebody told you you'd been followed for 16 years, in your mind, it's like, well, this is never going away. It was away. like when we, were, when we were covering those Clinton uh No, no, don't go, don't go there. We were having all those red dots up here everywhere. Don't go there. Stan explained that it all started after he counseled a mafia kingpin who wanted to turn his back on his criminal past. So we got a mafia guy who's wanting to go straight, so he goes to this pastor for counseling. But when the mafia discovered that the man had broken its code of silence and came to stand for counseling, they had killed him. He's dead. He's gone. And then... Wait, the Clintons killed him? And then the mafia went after Stan because they thought that he might know too much. But later, when Ruth... Now, this is the embittered ex-wife of a mobster, remember? had Alleged mobster. Exactly. Had started working as a secretary at the church where Stan pastored. So that story... That second story is getting weird as well. But she also became a target. Um, the wait, yeah, not Walmart. No, no, target. She oh. became a, she became a target of okay. the mafia. Oh, right. Okay. okay. So uh, Pauline says that uh, she was told then that each of them had somebody following us, keeping an eye on us from a distance, and that there had been many attempts to either kidnap, poison, or or kill all three of them, but uh, that these agents had intervened to keep her safe many times over the years so that's just freaky but this government sanctioned task force wasn't the only protection they had stan also said that there were shadowy communities these are towns or villages in different areas of the country where people who had been targeted by the mafia could go into protective uh, protective custody Stan and Ruth referred to these communities as the weird world. It fit right in here. Yeah, this podcast is number one in the weird world. Yeah, that's right. After years on the run, Pauline's mother said that she was going to go inside for protection. She'd been outside this whole time. Yeah. She said, where are you going? And her mom kind of like nodded her head one direction and went, inside. I'm going in. Cover me. She was going to disappear again. Stan was already living in one of these communities called Place of Hope. Hmm. Or Poe, for short, <laughs> he said. But his wife hadn't wanted to go inside with him. She's outside still on the porch. She didn't want to go in that weird no, world. No, no, no. So he was now living there alone and working in this weird world with its agents. Stan and Ruth told, told Pauline that this was their chance to finally be together. They had been in love for many years, uh -huh. but they had never been able to act on their feelings. Pauline was in shock. You know what he said? You know what he said? Finally, Stan said, he said, I can't fight this feeling any yeah, longer. Yeah. Yeah. Was his name uh, Stan, <laughs> said, Stan Cronin? He said he's still afraid to let it show. <laughs> it started out as friendship, but it grew stronger. Yeah, and then they went to the weird place. <laughs> anyway... 
Pauline was in shock. It was too much to take in. She said she she said she was sick with fear and sadness, and it just felt like life was shattering all around her. Pauline spent that weekend listening to Ario Speedwagon Records. Yes. And the Ramones, which explains many of the odd things that happened. Actually, she listened to Stan and Ruth's stories, which explained many of the odd things that happened while she was growing up, like the time she had come home to find her mother throwing away all the food from their fridge. The, she said the story at the time was that the food had gone bad, but I, ke- uh, I remember thinking ketchup and mustard don't go bad. <laughs> there are things in there that don't go bad quickly. Why would you do that? Stan explained that they had received word that somebody was trying to poison them, so everything had to be thrown away. And then there was the time the family had gone hiking in the middle of a school week and stayed overnight in this mountain cabin, which as a, as a you know, student, a school-age student would be a blast, I would think. People had been coming after them, Stan explained, that they had to get away for a day or two. Then there was also the day that the family skipped school to go bowling, which is always fun, and the time the kids had uh, come home from school and been rushed through the house, told to scrub their feet in the bath, and made to wear plastic bags over their socks for the rest of the day. There was a sinister reason for all of these strange episodes. As unbelievable as it sounds, there were all these explanations that made pieces that had been so troubling fall into some kind of pattern. It was like a narrative, Pauline said. When it was time for Pauline to leave Stan, or to leave, Stan asked if he could put a transmitter on her car to make it easier for the good guys to follow her and to make sure she was safe. He also gave her a small transistor radio that he said had a broadcast function so that Pauline could send, call, send a call for help if she needed it. Uh, she remembers, he warned me, only use it if your life really is in danger because people will respond and put their life on the line for you. Hey, that'd be cool to have. I'd like to have a button like that. Wow. Pauline returned to the home she was renovating with her boyfriend and to her job in the newsroom. But she was struggling to come to terms with what she had been told and growing more and more fearful by day. She was constantly looking over her shoulder for people or cars that might be following her and became too scared to eat at restaurants. I'm not going to be that scared. No In way. Case, especially those $5 nacho boxes. Oh, yeah. Nacho box. That's nacho box. That's uh, my $5 box. <laughs> In case someone, she was afraid someone might try to slip something into her food. She planned escape routes from inside her own home and assumed that her telephone line was bugged. Over time, more and more alarming information came from Stan and Ruth about the weird world, including the news that many people they knew really weren't the people they seemed to be. Oh, boy. She said the story was that some people who had been around us during my childhood who were involved with uh, were involved with organized crime had been picked up, arrested, killed, or otherwise disappeared. And then uh, she's like, what happened to Mr. Hoffa? Oh, he's still here. And uh, replaced by doubles. Yeah, that's there's Mr. Hoffa right there. Um, he didn't have a mohawk. <laughs> she said sometimes the double was put in place by the good guys. This happened in Stepford Wives, too. Yep. Remember that? Yep. Um, and sometimes the double would be put in place by the bad guys. So you were never 100% sure whose double it was. It was espionage, I say. Espionage. Okay, put yourself in her shoes for a minute, Craig. I can't. I, I, wear, I know you I like to wear high heels. I wear a 12. I can't fit into her shoe. <laughs> your your childhood was a mess, although you survived and you, and you made a, a good life for yourself. You become a journalist. Oh, I thought you were actually talking about my life. Yeah. Okay. So the, I'm not a journalist, by the way. Then your mom and her pastor slash lover sit you down in a top secret hotel room. Which you know was probably the dirtiest of all hotel rooms. Uh, it had to be because it fits the story. Right. How would you 
feel. I mean, if, and, and you're learning that people that you knew as a child. You're brainwashed at that point. You don't know what's but real. She, what's not. You're, you're paranoid and you're brainwashed. I, I don't think so. I think she was old enough and no, wise think, enough. But I think she's always going to question everything. Well, uh, we get to the bottom of some of this. I know, but I'm saying because it's so ridiculous, everything they're saying. It really is. And she's been through so much. I would be questioning everything and then questioning it again. I find it interesting. I'm that, questioning why I'm here. I find it interesting that she became a journalist, somebody that knows how to dig and get, get the truth, which we need more of. Anyway, let's get back to these doubles. So the doubles, Stan explained, spent months studying home videos to learn how to behave convincingly. They use special plastic surgeons and makeup artists to perfect their disguises. This is like face-off. Pauline encountered these doubles from time to time. On the day her brother got married, for example, she met her father and her aunt for the first time in years. Both, she was told, were doubles. Uh, she remembers it like this. My, my mother was so upset at that wedding because her sister was supposed to be a double. She kept saying, uh, but look at her toes. They're exactly Penny's toes. How could you make somebody else's toes look like that? Who knows how what somebody else's toes look like? <laughs> That's true. Pauline remembers also looking at her dad that day. He had a uh, nervous. No, uh, he had a nevus. He had a nevus. <laughs> a little overgrowth of cells just over the iris of his eye. No, I thought he actually was supposed to be nervous and it said nevus. <laughs> yeah. How on earth could it have been re- replicated? So he, had, he had a. So he had like a like a tag or something. Yeah, tag like mole or a, yeah. a little bigger probably. But when I said that to Stan, she said, oh, it's contact lenses and there's prosthetics and there's this and that. You know, there will always be an answer, she said. Pauline and her mother also received dozens of letters from people inside the weird world from her father and godfather, for example, who were being held in top secret prison there. Uh, The handwriting always looked authentic and the letters talked about things from their shared past. I'm not even believing this. It's bizarre. It's just not believable. And and in the research, I found one of these letters, uh, a photograph of one of these letters. It was just creepy to look at. Uh, They were convincing. Who on earth would have time to forge them if they weren't real? Pauline wondered. So despite being plagued by doubts, Pauline always had to acknowledge that the two people telling her this incredible story were her mother and Stan, the man, um, the most trust, uh, trustworthy people she knew, which didn't say a lot. She said it was cr- it was a crazy story, and I did have some challenges believing it, she said, but if I couldn't trust them, who can I trust? She began to feel that her work as a reporter covering school board meetings and town council meetings was irrelevant when her own life was in constant danger, and being sworn to secrecy uh, had placed a gulf between her and her boyfriend and everyone else in her life. She said, I just thought I can't live like this. I can imagine. She decided that she would go inside with her mother. So they walked from the front porch inside. inside. Yeah, the weird world. Stan told Pauline there was work inside that she could do, uh, that there was a community of good people there and that she could be part of it. He was building a cottage for himself and her mother and said he could arrange for one to be built for her uh, for her too. He brought her carpet samples and showed her plans and a photo of the horse that he rode in on. <laughs> no, the horse that she would have. So what is this, uh, the village? It's, it's much like that. It's, it sounds very cultish. Yeah. So Pauline did leave her job, sold her house, broke up with her boyfriend. She moved to Halifax in Nova Scotia, where she did find work and she found a new home while she and her mother waited for word that it was safe to go inside. She said, we were told there had been threats against family members and that if we were to disappear against all uh, again, if we were to disappear again, all heck would break, would rain down on everybody left behind. 
the intelligence uh, gatherers were telling us through the telling them through Stan that the mob had some sense that they might be planning to disappear. So they were threatening them. Uh, so Didn't they already disappear. Uh, so everything that they had planned was put on hold. Um, Pauline met Kevin, who would later become her husband. Stan gave uh, Pauline away on her big day. Of course, she couldn't invite her real father. And Kevin was allowed in on the dreadful secret. Kevin agreed that he would go inside, too. So they've got, they've got her husband wrapped up in this weird tale as well. Okay. But that time never came. Like, this is 1993. Five years after she had been led into the secret, Pauline's doubts had reached a climax. She said she was at war with herself and wanted to find some definitive way to prove it either right or wrong. She I, had I don't to blame know. Her. I don't blame her. No, me either. That's some very bizarre stuff. Pauline decided to set up a sting at the time as she knew Stan was visiting her mother. So she called her mom and she said, someone has broken into my house and she wanted to know what she would do. Pauline's mother replied, I'll ask our friend and call you back. Stan, you know, Stan the man. Yeah, the pastor. It, yeah, had made it clear to Pauline and Ruth that they must never go to the police to report any of the threats and strange going-ons in their lives. The police, he said, couldn't be trusted. If there was uh, ever any trouble, they should come to him and he would let them know if he got word of any plots that put them in danger. He had a special contraption implanted in his wallet for receiving messages. His inspector a, gadget. A pager? <laughs> um she said it would do a Morse code uh, dash and dots message, and he would take out a little notepad and decipher it. Uh, Ruth called Pauline back a few minutes later. She said, I was terrified because it was the moment that I was going to get an answer to this horrible quandary and I've been living, that I've been living with. Uh, Ruth said she couldn't talk on the phone. Pauline must go to her house immediately. So she had to go outside to go back inside. Yes, into a different inside. inside. Yeah, right, right. Okay. All right, so Ruth said come over. So once Pauline uh, was there, she listened horrified as Ruth and Stan told her that the two people had been picked up just down the street from her house earlier that day, that they had photographs of her, they had been following her, and were looking for certain things in her house. This was when the light bulb went on in Pauline's mind, and she said, when she said that, I knew the whole thing was a hoax. I knew that like 10 paragraphs ago. <laughs> because there had been no break-in. Right. She you know, made pa- all that Pauline up. had just made it up. She also said, that was the moment I knew all of those severed relationships, all the crazy running, all the strangeness. It was all a lie. Pauline was so shell-shocked and angry, it was a week before she could confront her mother. When she did, Ruth was horrified and upset. But not because she believed Pauline's accusations against Stan. What worried her was that if Pauline no longer believed the story, she would be putting herself in danger. So her mom was still bought in. Ruth was brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. So is this this a metaphor for Scientology? (laughs) Oh, stop. (laughs) Well, you think the Clintons are bad. Oh, man. (laughs) Don't, Don't get that L. Ron Hubbard guy on you. So Pauline blinded me with Scientology. Pauline confronted Stan. He told her there must have been a mistake. The report about the men who had been picked up after searching her house must have been incorrect. There would have been an investigation, he assured, he assured her. There, there would be. So her memory of that night was how sad it was. Uh, she was no longer one of them. She was not in the clique anymore. No more. And, she and, was now outside of the inside. Exactly. And Stan and Ruth are still rolling with this story after being busted. They're rolling with the changes. I think, I think Ruth was brainwashed. Stan may be insane, maybe. Like Aladdin saying, 
Yeah. Something like that. I can't believe I threw out something there, Minigun. You just didn't even take it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm anyway, all wrapped up in Pauline, Pauline's world here. Pauline spent months trying to convince her mother that Stan had been lying to them while her mother tried to convince Pauline that she was wrong. They reached a standoff. They were going to have a high noon right there in the middle of the, <laughs> front of the saloon. <laughs> I was furious, she said, and resentful, and I thought I hated Stan for a long time. But I finally decided that my mother was not in on this. Stan was making it up, but I just couldn't think why he would have done it. But in her search for an answer, she went to see a psychiatrist. Good. She said, what do you think this could be? He's clearly not schizophrenic. He does not appear to be psychotic. Psychotic. He's a professional and well-respected. People always talk about what a great guy he is. What could be going on? The psychiatrist suggested it sounded like a case of... Something I'm going to butcher. Folie et deux. Folie et deux. Folie et deux. Yes. A syndrome in I which... I know you spoke French. Thank you. Calais boom boom. A <laughs> Jacques Cousteau. A, uh, a syndrome in which symptoms of a delusional belief are transmitted from a dominant personality, which would be Stan, to a less dominant personality, Ruth. You can say that about Charlie Manson. Yeah, yeah. He, he did the, right. the same thing. Pauline and her father, Warren, reconnected after many years, but... He was by now quite ill with emphysema, and he'd started drinking again. So Pauline says she thought about telling him, but then she thought it would enrage him and that would not be good for him. She just didn't think it was there would be anything to gain from that. Her relationship with her mother never entirely recovered, though it improved when Pauline started a family. She said, when I had children, things changed. Uh, because they became a focus for all of our love. And sadly, Ruth got cancer, and that she passed away from that in 2010. But she had spent the last nine months of her life living with Pauline. And Pauline, since she hadn't fully forgiven her at that point, uh, but she said they both knew that they were out, uh, out, out of time of sort of through this, in and out of time. They, they got through it. I don't it. know what you just said. I don't either. Uh, they had to find some place of peace, and eventually they did. As you do, you've got to forgive and forget. You know how life goes. Ruth never, Craig, stopped believing well, Stan's story. Well, that's what Journey story. told us. <laughs> Even after his death, when the letters from the weird world dried up, there were no more messages about the activities of the mafia, and there couldn't really be any doubt it had all been a figment of his imagination. Uh, but, but shortly before Ruth died, she tried to warn Pauline to be careful. And Pauline told her, I don't need to be any more careful than anybody else, yeah. Mom. And she said, uh, Ruth told her, oh, Polly, if you don't believe this, how you must have hated me. And I said, no, I didn't hate you. I've been really angry at you, but I do love you. So four years ago, still trying to understand why Stan had concocted this elaborate host, uh, host <laughs> hoax, <laughs> Pauline came across an article in a medical journal about a condition called delusional disorder, something Aaron and I both can identify with. Sure. Uh, she said, as I read this article, I thought, this completely describes Stan, the man, the pastor, the man, the tower of power, Stan. <laughs> Stan. 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 Not People don't know his full name was actually Stan Art Bell. <laughs> Somebody who is in every respect normal and competent, but has this crazy delusion. Um, there's a whole party based on this. Yeah. yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> Pauline. More than one, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Pauline contacted the author of the paper, a psychiatrist at Harvard University. 
He was very excited to hear her story. Stan had all the hallmarks of a person with delusional disorder. Uh, Another academic, the leading expert on the disorder, also agreed. Finding a reason for what Stan did to her family may have helped Pauline come to terms with her past, but it can't ever repair the damage that uh, he did to their lives. She said, I feel very sad for my mother. Uh, She had such a difficult life, and she was uh, vulnerable to Stan, uh, mostly because he was a gentle, caring guy. Too bad uh, he had this terrible delusion. But she also felt sad for herself and her brother, two little kids whose lives were hijacked. And that's so true. She'll never get that back. She'll never get it back. They lost tons of family members and friends throughout the years. And even in her mind, even if they were there, she thought that was not them. I mean, this, this it was a terrible thing to happen to anybody. But the whole story, Craig, we've, we've just touched the surface. It was a bizarre, bizarre life, and, and we're limited by time here. But she's just written a book, and the book has got rave reviews everywhere. It's called My Life Outside of the Inside. It's not called that. inside and then came back outside. It's not called inside. that at all. It's called Run, Hide, Repeat. And all this because they roll with the changes. So it, it's, it's uh, described as a memoir of a childhood steeped in unexplained fear and menace. Gripping and suspenseful, it moves from Dakin's uneasy acceptance of her family's dire situation to bewildered anger. So check that out. It's available wherever you find books. Amazon.com is where I find them. Run, Hide, Repeat by Pauline Dakin. D-A-K-I-N. So, what do you think? Trying to derail you over here. Yeah, I saw I noticed that. It's kind of sad, isn't it? It's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy, crazy makes, big story. That makes, that makes us actually seem like we're normal. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Hey, check out our new website, I mean, by just, the way. Just a little bit, maybe? Weirdnewspodcast.com. It's, same, it's same, nice and same shiny. Address. Same address. Yeah, yeah. Website. It's nice and shiny. Well, Craig, I'll see you next week. When we'll go outside before we go inside. Hey, Pops. I had lunch with Dad Sunday and the whole family. Alan was there. Oh, he's the best. How is Alan? Back up, you creep.